Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim's Digress, the special edition of our program in which we are going to talk to the doctor, the reverend doctor, I imagine. Although I, I mm. don't think he likes multiplying titles uh, and he does not wear his phylacteries wide. Ed Romine and Ed, you are known to many people in our circles. Well, some would say that. Yep. So, yeah, well, you know, I was just, I was talking to a buddy of mine, Josh Loftus, and I mentioned you and he was like, oh yeah, he's a good guy. I talk with him sometimes. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people know you. You're the, you're the exact opposite of the kind of person that annoys me in the, the world of reformedom today and the kind of person that I, in my flesh, am tempted to be, which is the climber. Rather, you want to get yeah. to know people in order to minister to them and have fellowship yeah. with them. And so, in a way, I don't want to make it weird right off the bat, but you're my hero, Ed. Um, <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. Well, And Alex, you don't know this, but Ed's, Ed's mother died briefly before my father died. Mm-hmm. And I was Correct. still in kind of like... Um, bereavement, forget everybody else. I got to deal with myself and my family mode. And he called me and he said, or he texted me. I don't remember what he called me. He said, how are you doing? Checked in on me. You're, you're a good fellow. So there's his credentials right off the bat. <laughs> Academic and Christian. Your father, if I may ask, uh, he was a Christian, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. See, I bless God for that. My, uh, my mother, uh, was never a Christian. But you know what? God is good. And when my grandparents who raised me, uh, they died when I was 14 years old. And they were like my mom and dad. Um, And uh, when when they passed away, uh, my mom came up to their home and finished raising me through high school. Hmm. And... um, when when my grandparents passed away, um, I got really mad at God, and uh, I got uh, pretty involved in like demonic dark things. And um, this time, uh, when I've had a parent die, uh, the difference has been incalculable, if I could put it that way. So instead of hating God and resenting God. Um, I've grown close to him in the Psalms in particular. So like the lament Psalms of Psalm 6, Psalm 13, uh, Psalm 103, and, and my favorite Psalm, Psalm 88, have been such a comfort to my soul. And I particularly like Psalm 88 because there's no resolution to the pain. Right. Um, You know, Psalm 88 says, ends with, you have made uh, my friends a whore to me, right? Just in in that vein. And I've always thought to myself, I would pay money to see Joel Osteen go line by line through Psalm 88. (laughs) Right. Yeah, the kind of happy, clappy, uh, fair-weather Christianity, it doesn't jive with much of the the Bible, and it's not much use when something like that happens, when you lose a loved one, when the bottom falls out of your life, and you're not living your best life. 
But you know what? This right. this might be a good way to just kind of bring it into the Pilgrim's Progress. Now, uh, Mr. Sagacity has often shared um, some of his life experience and connected it with the Pilgrim's Progress. I have uh, as well, to some degree. And I'm wondering, like, when you talk about as a teenager losing your grandparents, and were you a believer then, and you and you backslid, or you weren't mm-hmm. saved yet? I was not saved yet. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I had. Actually, as long as I could remember, and I would scare my grandparents, they were nominally Christian. Um, But as far back as I could remember, I had a fascination with all things dark and demonic. Mm. Halloween was my favorite holiday as a kid growing up, not Christmas. And and you got to understand when I say Halloween, I'm not talking about dressing your kid up as a power ranger and going trick-or-treating but i i'm talking about my guy actually had a fascination with like blood guts gore uh the demonic uh my grandparents for whatever reason finally succumbed to one of my desires and they let me be satan one uh year for halloween they were very uncomfortable with it because of their cultural nominal christianity but they let me do it and I remember thinking as a kid, that was the best Halloween ever. And uh, I mean, I, I was a, I was a really weird kid back in the day. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm still weird now. I mean, you know, on, only weird people go after PhDs and get them, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know what PhD stands for, right? What's that? Permanent head damage. <laughs> so now, what was your PhD so, in? Yeah, so um, uh, my PhD was in <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, um, and my dissertation is actually uh, coming out in book form in fall of this year. So my publisher tells me, and um, <laughs> you mentioned. Uh, Josh Loftus, well, Brother Josh was one of the people that I asked for a recommend. And because uh, I know he just really, really loves Spurgeon. He's grown up all, all his life. And, you, you know, I, I think the world of Josh, you know, the reformatory is like another version of doctrine and devotion. Uh, you know, they're just humorous and funny and and uh you know goofy which i like that sort of thing it's it's why i like you you've got a good sense of humor so josh loftus is to the the uh doctrine and devotion as like Kmart is to sharper image or something i don't we don't want him to get a big head over here he's got a big beard but we don't want him to get a big head i mean <laughs> yeah that, that that's true that's true i imagine you so. don't listen to my other podcast the gut check podcast uh, is that the one with the cluckles? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I call him. He doesn't know that. Ted Cluck. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I refer to him as Cluckles. I, I started doing that when Josh uh, came out with a podcast with him. And I, and I think uh, he's also on the Hampy Rant, right? For the moment. For the moment. Uh, for the moment. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's delve into the intersection then of the pilgrim's progress and your uh, area of expertise the 
Mr. I almost said Reverend, but Mr. Spurgeon till the day he died, this guy. Um, That's right. It's interesting to get a PhD in Spurgeon when he said things like the degrees on a pastor are like a, a the, the tail on a pig. <laughs> they, they add a little curl, but they don't add any function, or I don't remember the exact, you probably know the exact quote. but <laughs> Well, I, I know what you're talking about and referencing. I mean, you, you got to remember that the, the established church of the day, the Church of England, was where you got your ministry education, um, and and uh, he didn't he didn't really care much for folks that were well educated, but they couldn't bring uh, the truths of Scripture down to the low level because a lot of folks, not all, but a lot of folks in the Church of England would speak in these very high, eloquent manners in their sermons. And Spurgeon would often fight against that. He would say things such as this, that that is very helpful. He, he would often say something to the effect of, God did not say, feed my giraffes. He said, feed my sheep. Mm. So, so if you're talking uh, in such a way where people cannot understand you, it's a, it's not very salubrious. The people will be very lugubrious if you do that. I'm sorry. I didn't know what that word meant. You're, you're feeding the giraffes, man. Yeah. yeah see, that's my point. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what's, you know what's ironic is that Spurgeon uh, actually used the word lugubrious, and I had to go and look that up. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, when you're reading Spurgeon, it's sometimes hard to know what what is the disconnect based just on you know the centuries that have passed, and what is his kind of uniquely almost King Jamesy cadence and and um, vocabulary. Right. So so um, in in order to put what I've said down the on a lower shelf, not that I think. You, Guys are stupid, but I didn't know these words at one point either. Um, you know, when I said uh, it's not some lubrious and your people will be lugubrious. Um, first off, those words rhyme, so I think it's you know um, interesting that way. But salubrious means beneficial to one's health, and, and lugubrious just means sad or sorrowful. Oh. That's right. Why couldn't you have just said that? <laughs> but, so, so you, you, you know, it's like I was reading uh, Tom Nettles, uh, big biography of Spurgeon, Living by Revealed Truth. If you don't have it, you need to get it. And I love Dr. Nettles. He, um, he and I have had many conversations on Spurgeon. Um, but uh, in his introduction, he uses the word evanmasonary. Whoa. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? So I looked it up, and it means beneficial to charity. And again, I thought, why couldn't you just say that? So, so you know, at heart, uh, I'm a country boy, you know. Uh, when, when I preach, uh, people tell me I sound like an old Baptist preacher. 
And if they don't see a video of me, they think I'm like in my 50s. (laughs) How old are you, Ed? uh, How do you think? (laughs) I mean, I've seen you face to face. So I would say you're probably about 30, about about the the same age-ish as Mr. Sagacity over here. Oh, bless you. I'll be 33 in June. So 32. Yeah. You're 32. So... Are you going to get married soon? Well, I'm not joke. marrying the Mor- I'm not marrying a Mormon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just asked because the Lord laid down His life when He was 33. Wah, wah. Oh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard we'll that on Mark see. Lowry CD some time ago. When you bring up uh, Spurgeon and the Church of England, it, it's another connection that he had with Bunyan. Where you know Bunyan, obviously, a lot of the stuff that he portrays as formalist and hypocritical and all these things are very rooted in the kind of state church, official church of the day. And yet it seems like there are definitely allies. I mean, faithful, it seems um, I'm, I'm quite convinced is a picture of a a faithful uh, Anglican man. And, and so it was possible in his mind. And I know that Spurgeon had a, a broader view of the church than a lot of Baptists do today. Uh, do you think that right. there was any connection with his reading the the Pilgrim's Progress, where he kind of saw that the, the way is narrow, but the kinds of people you find along it are are broad and and diverse? Yeah, Spurgeon was definitely definitely a lot more ecumenical than than people give him credit for. Um, I I was not planning on doing doing this, and, and there won't be any dead air here, but but. Uh, <laughs> Since you brought that up, I want to read you something uh, out of my dissertation. So this is a sermon I preached in the year 1859 on a Thursday evening. So this is not too far into his ministry, right? Um, he, he had only been at the New Park Street uh church for a few years the metropolitan tabernacle hadn't even been um, built yet Um, and listen to what he says i've been struck lately in reading works who belong to the romish church that's Mm -hmm. roman catholic with the marvelous love which they have towards the lord jesus christ I did think at one time that it could not be possible for any to be saved in that church. But often, as I have risen from reading the books of those holy men and have felt myself to be quite a dwarf by their side, I have said, yes, despite their errors, these men must have been taught of the Holy Spirit, notwithstanding all the evils of which they have drunk so deeply. I'm quite certain that they must have had fellowship with Jesus or else they couldn't have written as they did. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and he always, he thought that the Roman Catholic church <coughs> itself was um, corrupt. He agreed with the Second London Confession that the Pope is that Antichrist which God hateth. 
and and uh, he detested um, the the church's tendencies toward towards worship, but but he was ecumenical enough to leave open the possibility that there could be holy men even within that church. Yeah, it's fascinating how uh, that's that's a historical Baptist position, and and I always uh, footnote that uh, with yeah. remember you know in in the Second London Baptist Confession, remember who the Pope was at the time and what the state of right. uh, the persecutions were at the time. But yeah. it's interesting that that picture in you know the 17th century, and at the same time, Bunyan is making this picture of of Pope as a giant, but. He's so crazy and stiff in his joints because of his near brushes of his past uh, that he can do nothing more than than sit there. What is it? He like he bites, uh, his, nails. bites his nails and mutters uh, as pilgrims go by. He can't stop them. He can't kill them. He can't do what giant despair does to them. And and he says, right. "You'll ne- you'll never mend till more of you are burned." But basically, it's like, yeah, don't worry about this guy. Um, and and yet, the picture we have of the Antichrist in the scriptures is. Somebody who's a, a, a real powerful individual, if you know, except for those who right. don't see him as an individual, but um, yeah, you know, type type typifying something. But uh, yes, Spurgeon was able to say uh, <coughs> there might be people within churches that are even kind of compromised, and yet not such a purist that everything within, you know, the baby has to go out with the bathwater as well. Right. And what's so fascinating about that, my friend? Is if you if you listen closely, uh, Spurgeon said, "I did think at one time that it could not be possible mm-hmm. for any to be saved in that church." But then he changes his mind. Yeah, so he wasn't really Baptist because he changed his mind at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, Mr. Sagacity, yeah. you've got you've got some questions um, that that we thought would be good uh, for for the doctor here. Uh, regarding Spurgeon and the Pilgrim's Progress, do you want to start throwing those at him? Yeah, well, I thought that I thought that first first we could talk about right Spurgeon's Spurgeon's love of the Pilgrim's Progress because he mm-hmm. references it so often yeah. throughout. Right, uh, and and honestly, just in passing, he'll just he'll just throw out a name like Mister Greatheart, like Christian, like this. I'm feeling this way, or we're this way, or um, so. It was obviously a very very important book, um, and I yeah. just like to start with some of the things that drew Spurgeon to the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, yeah, initially. So I've got a few quotes here that I want to read that I pulled. <laughs> I pulled up that I think answers this question. Um, and one quote, if you know anything about John Bunyan, you know that he worked as a tinker. And he said, there was a tinker once who never so much as brushed his back against the walls of a college who mm-hmm. wrote a pilgrim's progress. Mm-hmm. Did ever a doctor in divinity write such a book? And the answer that he's going for is no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's saying somebody with a doctorate can't come close mm. to Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, by the Church of England standards, he's a dumb dumb. <laughs> right. But and yet also Spurgeon, a massive bestseller, right? <laughs> second right. most purchased and read piece of uh, fiction in all, of all time. Right, that's right. 
he actually thought that Bunyan um, was a genius. Listen to this quote. This one's a little longer. It is to the last degree improbable that either you or I will ever turn out John Bunyan's. We mm. may become tinkers, but we shall never ride a pilgrim's progress. Mm. We might imitate him in his poverty, but we are not likely to emulate him in his genius. A man with such an imagination filled with wondrous dreams is not born every day. And when he does come, his inheritance of brain is not all again in the direction of a restful life. When Bunyan's imagination had been purified and sanctified, its masterly productions were seen in his marvelous allegories. But while as yet, he has not been renewed and reconciled to God with such a mind so strangely formed, so devoid of all education, and brought up as he had been in the roughest society. He was dired with a fearful heritage. That marvelous fancy would have wrought him wondrous woe if he had not been controlled by the divine spirit. <coughs> yeah. So he's saying that the... Um, the gift of genius that Bunyan was given to would have been so destructive had Bunyan not been born again hmm. himself. And um, he even says at one point uh, this about the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, the fact is, I do not know of but one good allegory in the English language. And that is the Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> and parables, pictures, and analogies are not so easy as some think. Most men can understand them, but few can create them. He's mm. going back to that creative genius of Bunyan. <laughs> and, and he loved it so much. Uh, let, let me give you uh, Bunyan or Spurgeon's own testimony here. In a couple different spots throughout his works, he says something to this effect. I just pulled one. Um, I believe I've read it through at least a hundred times, talking about the Pilgrim's Progress. It is a volume of which I never seem to tire, and the secret of its freshness. This this really gets to your question, Mr. Sagacity. Um, Sagacity. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they changed the it secret, from the German uh, sagacity uh, during the war. Yeah, so. there, there you go. Yeah. So I, I, I'm learning German right now. It's so hard to pronounce. Uh, let's see. But I got a big Texas accent. So there you go. So uh, he says the secret of the Pilgrim's pro Progress freshness is that it is so largely compiled from the scriptures. It is really biblical teaching put into the form of a simple yet very striking allegory. Hmm. So that's the answer uh, to your to your question. Yeah. Um, of why he was attracted because he felt it was so helpful to getting people to understanding biblical truth. This was a book that he had as a, a unregenerate boy, too, isn't it? Or right, I, do correct. I have it wrong? 
Yeah, yeah I, I think, don't quote me on this, but I want to say he started reading this at his grandfather's house when he would live with him. In the attic, I believe, uh, yeah. And he was about yeah. six-ish, and uh, he, he was absorbing um, all the 17th century um, authors of his Puritan grandfather's library. Well, his grandfather wasn't a Puritan, but the but the library was Puritan. Excuse <laughs> me. So I mean, he was basically like a Puritan. He was the heir of the Puritans. His grandfather. Well, thank goodness there was no Netflix then, or we might not have ever had Spurgeon. <laughs> he could have been watching Coco yeah. Melon or something. Oh no, just getting dumber. Well, <laughs> well, Spurgeon would have had good taste in entertainment, so he was watching Cobra Kai. Oh, oh right, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cobra Kai. You know, yeah. I almost feel like I can't let that go by without referencing my my podcast mm-hmm. that was based on Cobra Kai called Give Sin a Body Bag that everyone should check out, Cobra Kai and Sanctification. Um, you know, when you bring up um, Spurgeon's love of allegory and stories and stuff, it reminds me how much Spurgeon seems to hate the theater. And <laughs> we've been yep. seeing an upswelling of, like, theatrical productions of pilgrim's progress lately there is a bit of a revival of interest in it uh and there's been some movies there was the one uh, recently that uh uh getty was involved with uh that was a cgi pilgrim's progress uh seemingly for for young kids and young teens what do you think mm-hmm. he would think of that um kind of redeeming this this world that he thought of as this seedy temptation for christians but for a a holy use and to get bunions work out there yeah, I think this is a similar question. Like, uh, I've always enjoyed uh, heavy metal. Can you know? Can Demon Hunter really be a thing? You know that that, that sort of question. <laughs> and what you've got to remember is Spurgeon, as we are, are men and/or women of our times, and. Um, the, the theater back in the 19th century was nothing like what it was today. It was given to um, wooddenness, um, exploitation of sexual things, and, and um, Spurgeon really wanted his people uh, to live set-apart holy lives. And um, when I think about the theaters today, I'm don't necessarily think about just some wooddenness, although it's definitely there depending on the movies you watch. If, if I'm going to the theaters, I'm going to watch something, you know, like like the new Mario movie. Yeah. yeah. Something Did like, you see that one? Like not, yet. That. not yet. It's great. Me and Levi are going. Very funny. Yeah. Well, good. That makes me want to go see it. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I actually might. I, I uh, I, I enjoy uh, uh, going to the movies about as much as I enjoy playing the game of hopscotch. So, <laughs> yeah. Why? What's your different? listener? Your listeners won't understand why that's funny, and that pleases me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So to answer your question, though, I uh, do think he would be okay with the type of um, emphasis there is on on wanting to create good Christian art. Mm-hmm. 
and and when I say that, I'm not talking about facing the giants or whatever. <laughs> but I, I mean, uh, not not the. Uh, blow smoke on you unnecessarily and make your head big, Zach. But, but I think I think your Pilgrim's uh, Progress podcast. I think it's good art. Oh, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, Spurgeon really loved uh, beauty, and, and you know that old saying, "Beauty's in the eye of the beholder." Mm-hmm. That's not true when you look at uh, what the Bible teaches about beauty. Uh, beauty seems to be more objective. So when when the scriptures say Yahweh is beautiful, nobody should say that that's untrue mm-hmm. uh, or that he's majestic in beauty, whatever. Um, the Christian has to say yes and amen. That is objectively true. You won't find a Christian that'll say, "Well, you know, I just really think Yahweh's not beautiful." Uh, one of my favorite uh, Spurgeon sermons is a, a devotional for a, a. He did a number of communion uh, devotions. What? How do you pronounce the name of that little town? Menton, France. He had a service, a sermon before a communion service there in a, a small gathering yeah. called "The King and His Beauty," and yeah. it's about. Two thirds the length of an average Spurgeon sermon, which I think is pretty good length, and uh, I have read that thing, gosh, probably thirty times. I really love it. Yeah, what number is that? I'll go back and read it. You know, I assume that, that you uh, have all the hidden or the lost, rather, the lost and found sermons that have been coming out. I do. I've got all seven of them. My, um, uh, my name. If you look, starting in the fourth one. I started putting all the contributors in the book. Uh-huh. And so uh, my name is in volumes four through seven. Really? As, uh, what a flex. Yeah, as a research yeah. assistant. That's so. so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, well, I'm just happy they spelled my name right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I'd, I could never pull off the level of aw shucks humility that you like actually have. Um, I think I would come off as being falsely humble because I would be. Well, well, I, I live in Utah, and LDS tend to be falsely humble, and so I, it really annoys me. <laughs> so, so, and I love LDS, by the way. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But sure. they just have, and I don't say this to be mean, but, but I mean, they put on a front. To the outside world, but inside they're really hurting people. Mm-hmm. And um, having a disability, I have several palsy. I'm in a wheelchair. That's why the hopscotch joke was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, having the disability and not even being able to dress yourself, you know, that that will humble you. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. But, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, Spurgeon has a really pithy quote. Every Christian has a choice of either being humble or being humbled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the difference of the D at the end uh, makes everything. You know, either... Uh, you will be humble or the Lord will humble you. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. That, that's right. That's right. But I'll, I'll tell you, Zach. You know, uh, you you were saying at the beginning that right, people know me and all that, and, and uh, I, I just try to do what I do, keep rolling in my own lane, and and uh, God, God just raised people in my life. I mean, like you. I don't remember how I found your books, but I read them. I might, like, this is really good art. I want to see if I can connect with this guy and look what happened. I yeah. can't find, I can't find the sermon number, but I'll find it later and I'll, I'll text it to you. Uh, Ed. No worries. <laughs> uh, so. I think we got a few more questions to throw your way. If you have a little more time. Yeah, awesome. I've definitely got more time. So I carved out the whole early morning for you guys. This this guy, so he's in Mountain Time. Mm-hmm. He texted me at like eight twenty our time. We still on for eight a.m. Mountain. You must be an early riser. Ah, uh, when I have stuff to do, yeah. Oh, I wish I so, had that gene or that discipline or whatever it would require. I, I mean, like like if I have to stay up till like one thirty in the morning, like uh, I was actually uh, talking to a. To a dear young man who has left the LDS church, um, and uh, you know he's just been asking me all kinds of questions and investigating the real thing of Christianity, and he he stayed up to uh, till one thirty in the morning talking to me, and I, I finally said, "Man, I'm older than you are. I've got to sleep." Because, you know, he's in his mid-twenties, and, you know, that was a long time ago, whether I like it or not, so, but uh, for me. It's a beautiful use of your time, though. uh, uh, Yes, and I slept in until 10 o'clock in the morning the next day and did not feel bad, so. All right, so uh, so the next question I have, and I think is interesting, is that we can kind of see a similarity between Spurgeon's conversion and um, Christian's conversion actually inside of the Pilgrim's Progress in that they both had lived deeply inside of religious society uh, and don't actually come to Christ until later. And I think think that's an interesting kind of connection, right? Uh, Spurgeon, as you've already said, had had this connection with the Puritans through his library. I think it was, um, was it his grandmother or his aunt or whatever who would give him money if he could recite, uh, who was it, Isaac Watts? Hymns he, or so? He, or? Got, he got five cents yeah. for, for every hymn that yeah. he memorized. That's why he could uh, pop them out like nothing yeah, during his preaching. Yeah. He'll just mm-hmm. launch yeah. into these hymns, yeah. So, so it's kind of funny. He, 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 uh, had two ways of making money as a little boy. Uh, one was memorizing hymns. The second one was killing rats. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Spurgeon said, I much preferred to memorize hymns. <laughs> but yeah, so, so your question is, uh, you know, a similarity between... The, the character of Christian and Spurgeon. Yeah, just kind of laying the groundwork maybe for Spurgeon's actual yeah. conversion so you know, we can kind of start drawing connections between um, uh, between Christians. Yeah, so I'm going to guess uh, most of your listeners are probably fam- familiar with uh, how Spurgeon uh, was 
snowed in and ended up uh, going into a primitive Methodist church uh, in order to get out of the snowstorm that he normally didn't go to. Mm -hmm. And uh, there wasn't a bunch of people there. And according to his testimony, um, the the preacher couldn't make it. And so a layman, so he says, got up to speak. And, and the layman spoke from the book of Isaiah. Look unto me, uh, all you peoples to the end of the earth and be saved. I'm paraphrasing that. I probably should really memorize that. But... <laughs> But uh, he starts out a sermon by, by just reading the text and saying, you've got to look to Christ. You've got to look to Christ. You've got to look, look, look. And he just repeats that refrain. That's really the only point of this layman sermon. And uh, there wasn't a lot of people there, remember. So he notices a young, young boy there, Spurgeon, and he looks at him and he says, young man, you look miserable and you will be miserable <laughs> if you do not obey my text. Look to Jesus and live. Hmm. And it was at that moment, Spurgeon says, that the, that the scales fell from his eyes. and He looked and looked and looked at Jesus until he, he could look his eyes out. And he oftentimes mentions his conversion uh, or some variation of the story uh, throughout his preaching. And, and I found one particular retelling of a story that's very interesting because it connects it to, uh, as he says, dear old Christian. Hmm. And this is long, but this is worth your time uh, to listen to. I could not believe that it was possible that my sins could be forgiven. I do not know why, but I seemed to be the odd person in the world. When the catalog was made out, it appeared to me that for some reason I must have been left out. If God had saved me and not the world, I should have wondered indeed. But if he had saved all the world except me, that would have seemed to me to be right. And now, being saved by grace, I cannot help saying, I am indeed a brand plucked out of the fire. Mm -hmm. I believe that some of us who were kept by God a long while before we found him, love him better perhaps than we should have done if we had received him directly. And we can preach better to others. We can speak more of his loving kindness and tender mercy. John Bunyan could not have written as he did if he had not been dragged about by the devil for many years. Huh. I, I love that picture of dear old Christian. I know when I first read The Pilgrim's Progress and saw in it the woodcut of Christian carrying the burden off his back, I felt so interested in the poor fellow that, that I thought I should jump with joy when, after he had carried his heavy load so long, he at last got rid of it. Hmm. And that was how I felt when the burden of guilt, which I had borne so long, was forever rolled away from my shoulders and my heart. Hmm. That's yeah, awesome. That is beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he felt a connection to Christian, like they were kindred souls. Absolutely, absolutely. And you you had asked another question, like, uh, do I see similarities mm-hmm. between Spurgeon and Bunyan, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, yep. I think that was on the text. Maybe I just imagined that in my own head. It certainly was. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, good. So I'm not going too crazy. All right. <laughs> there is another quote where he talks about Bunyan's just love for the Bible, which I think is really, really helpful. And he calls the Pilgrim's Progress the sweetest of all prose poems. Mm. And he says that the Pilgrim's Progress uh, makes us feel and say uh, about Bunyan, why this man is a living Bible. Hmm. Prick him anywhere, his blood is bibbling. Hmm. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved, and still more the example of our Lord Jesus. Hmm. And I, I... I would say one could say the same thing about Spurgeon. Yeah, I was about to say that's high praise from him. That's like Eminem saying, this guy's a really great rapper. I really I look right. up to him. And you're like, hold on. Spurgeon, who's, I mean, you can tell he doesn't have to like go to his Thompson chain reference Bible or like open a concordance. <laughs> he, it's all networked and matrixed together in his brain. It just comes right. to and for yep, him to and, say, prick this guy anywhere, and his blood comes out bibbling is, is wild. Yeah, and, and even he admires Bunyan and the providence of God. Now, listen to this. I look on John Bunyan in prison, writing his Pilgrim's Progress, and I cannot help feeling that it was a great blessing for us all that such a lily shut up among the thorns that it might shed its fragrance in that famous book and thereby perfume the church for ages. Hmm. I mean, he he thought a lot of not only the book itself, but also the author. And um, there is a relatively famous uh, biographer of uh, Spurgeon from the last century and that most Spurgeon scholars know about it. Um, Eric Hayden, and, and Eric Hayden actually says in his book, in one of his biographies, that Spurgeon enjoyed the Holy War even more than the Pilgrim's Progress. Mm-hmm. And the Holy War, war um, about the Battle of Mansoles, yeah. I, I think even better written. It's just not as well known. We're going to get to um, that later on our podcast, yeah. definitely. I'm thinking season three, yeah. Uh, it's it's right. all good stuff. Although uh, he he's got some duds, but every writer does. Uh, but, right. Yeah. And, and Bunyan Bunyan's yeah. uh, poem poetry doesn't really do it for uh, Mr. Sagacity or me or anyone who likes you know good verse. But you know, so what? It, it doesn't matter so much because the power is in the imagery itself. I think. And right. I gotta say, I I can connect when when. Spurgeon talks about being moved to tears while reading The Pilgrim's Progress. I can't imagine a Christian who's lived any amount of Christian life who wouldn't also be 
at some point moved to tears by reading it. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned to Mr. Sagacity that Spurgeon oftentimes mm -hmm. would just pull up an allegorical character from Bunyan's works. Yeah. Let me show you a, a good one because this is from uh, one of Spurgeon's sermons. Uh, and, and this is on the topic of spiritual warfare with the devil. So Zach really like this with the novels that he's written. Right. Satan knows he cannot destroy you because you are in Christ. And therefore, if the dog cannot bite, he will at least bark. Like mercy in Bunyan's Pilgrim's mm. Progress, you will often be alarmed by the evil ones. And all the more so because these evil ones know that in a little while, you will be out of gunshot of all the powers of hell and beyond the hearing of all the bellowings of the fiends of the pit. He's even using a little bit of Bunyan language. Being out of gunshot of the mm. devil is a quote from Evangelist. Mm. That, that's oh, wild. really? Yeah, he, so he's just absorbing uh, yeah. it kind of like a sponge. You squeeze him and these, all these yeah. things. I have a book on my desk right now they're all facing the wrong way, so I don't see the spine. But it's basically uh, from Spurgeon's uh, bookshelf. And it was like his most prominently used books and excerpts from each of them. And you kind of read it and see how a lot of these things helped form this great man. And, you know, that, that old quote of, like, uh, visit many books but mm. live in the Bible. That, I think that's a, a actual legitimate Spurgeon quote. There's a lot of apocryphal stuff floating yes, around. Yes, it is. But I yes, love that. And you got to imagine that, like, it's just like how you and I probably have a favorite restaurant we go to all the time. But we mostly yep. take our meals at home. And then there's a bunch of other, you know, diners or places you might pop in once or twice. It's like his favorite neighborhood, you know, pub or whatever is the Pilgrim's Progress. Right. That's that's the cafe yeah. on the corner. And and he lives in the Bible, but man, he visits the Pilgrim's Progress a lot. Yeah. Now, now I'm curious. I've got another quote where I wanted to demonstrate where Spurgeon's using a lot of characters. Mm. Um, and this one's a little longer, but I'm curious on whether or not Zach and Mr. Suggesty you guys sense an, an absorption of even phrases, kind of mm. like what you did with the gunshot uh, quote, because you're more immediately familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress than I am since you're doing mm. the podcast and really immersed in it. But uh, I've got another quote for you here. Uh, this one's a little long, but I think you'll like it. As I have observed at the beginning, faith is but very small. And there are some Christians who never get out of little faith all the while they are here. You notice in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress how many little faiths, capital L, hmm. he mentions. There is our old friend Ready to Halt, mm -hmm. who went all the way to the celestial city on crutches, but left them when he went into the River Jordan. Hmm. Then there is a little feeble mind who carried his feeble mind with him all the way to the banks of the river and then left it and ordered it to be buried in a dunghill that none might inherit it. <laughs> then there's Mr. Fearing, too, who used to stumble over a straw and was always frightened if, you, if he saw a drop of rain. 
because he thought the floods of heaven were let loose upon him. And you remember Mr. Despondency and Miss Much Afraid, who was so long locked up in the dungeon of giant despair that they were almost starved to death, and there was little left of them but skin and bone. And poor Mr. Feebleman, who had been taken into the cave of giants, slay good, who was about to eat him, when Greatheart came to his deliverance. John Bunyan was a very wise man. He has put a great many of those characters in his book because there are a great many of them. He has not left us with one Mr. Ready to Halt, but has given us seven or eight graphic characters because he himself in his own time has been one of them. Mm. And he has known many others who had walked in the same path. I think that, again, is another reason why he was so attracted to uh, Bunyan's allegories. Hmm. Yeah, it, what's, what I love about his references, um, for, for example, he mentions at least in two or three sermons, Mr. Facing Both Ways. And I had actually yep. in my mind built up that this guy was like a major character. I read the Pilgrim's Progress, but I was like, oh yeah, that guy's, that guy's really, he must be all over the place. Cause he's, and he's, he's mentioned very briefly deep for cut. a moment. Yeah, it's a yeah. very deep cut. Um, but just like the notion of it stuck with Spurgeon. And I like that of, of what you just read, Little Faith, Little Faith is actually the chapter that is on, we're on right now, mm-hmm. um, where these three sturdy rogues come and attack him. Um, I, I kind of portrayed it in a what I call a vignette earlier, but uh, Hopeful and Christian discuss this. And, and Christian reminds him, little faith, it was actually ordained for him to have but a little faith, and yet that little faith will keep him from selling his, uh, his role, keep him from selling his jewels, and will keep him on the narrow way. Uh, but mm. all the rest of these, except maybe one, um, are from part two, mm-hmm. which a lot of people neglect. Right. And so it's an it probably Christiana, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christiana and and the whole band of pilgrims. Right. It's a church story, you know. There's a there's a lot of people together, like there should be on the road together. Right. I'm guessing that he was reading part two, you know, just for for his own edification and enjoyment when he uh, produced that quote that you just read, and those were fresh on his mind. Right. Yeah, and um, I didn't put this quote down. Uh, now that I think about it, I should have, but uh, he even says, like, there's a genius in Bunyan's uh, progress because part one focuses on the individual Christianity. Part two focuses even more on the corporate aspect of mm. the church. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can see that when you read through them. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask yeah. you this. The, one of the things that has been really helpful to me as we've been working on this podcast and things is uh, Spurgeon's pictures of a pilgrim's progress. And mm-hmm. I know he must have delivered these. It sounds from the language he uses that they were part of a weekly meeting of some kind. What was the context of those? Do you know? Is that just a, a breakout class he did there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle or what was it? Probably knowing him. I don't know for sure, but what I can tell you is I can research it and maybe come back on again and tell you the answer. Okay. Or text you. Sure, so, yeah, nice. If yeah. you text me before we put this out, I'll just pop in and be like, two weeks later. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, th- I, I'm sure you've read those, of course, uh, being a, a Spurgeon scholar. And 
Yes. It, it almost is like, I mean, I, I would not want anyone who had never read The Pilgrim's Progress to read it without also reading those. Uh, they're just yeah. so wonderful, especially stuff like, you know, you get to the man in the iron cage and it's such a frightening picture. It, it, it sticks with you. It's a, a thing for a, a Calvinist really to, to wrestle with, I think, because it's a reality that, that there are going to be people for whom repentance is outside of their ability because it's just not going to be what they'll want. They're bound. They're bound by their sin. And yet Spurgeon right. comes in pastorally and says, if you're worried and you're hearing this demonic kind of uh, monologue in your mind, you're the man in the iron cage, despair, uh, don't, don't have any hope. Don't worry. If you want to be forgiven, it's proof that you're not the man in the iron cage. And to me, his kind of pastoral, it's almost like it took a couple hundred more years before someone could come and translate the the nuances of this amazing uh, allegory into a, a more pastoral uh, approach and and hand it to us on a, a silver pat platter. Like he takes the raw materials of it and makes a meal out of it. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's so interesting? When even you look at those lectures, when when you look at his sermons, he is so familiar with really all of Bunyan's works, but in particular, the allegories, and he's just, without really even thinking about it, pulling from the allegories the sermon illustrations. And, and um, this kind of segues to a question I think I got from you guys, where it's like, why do you think people are not as familiar with the... Uh, uh, with the Pilgrim's Progress today, and more so, why don't pastors recommend it more often? And it's so interesting to me where, like, if I had a student in one of my preaching classes that quoted um, Pilgrim's Progress that much, I'd be like, wait, you're assuming your people have actually read that book. Uh, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. To answer your question about why ministers don't recommend uh, the the books, I really think it's because this is changing, but uh, a lot of folks don't see value in the old books. Mm -hmm. I think it Um, is changing, though, and I hope it's not a fad. I I hope that... Right. Uh, because you know we we all are aware of it's a stereotype even it's it's a caricature the you know you can even build them from the top down starting with the big beard or the bottom up with the combat boots or whatever I don't know what they're wearing um, I, I don't fit the aesthetic because my uh, my wife would just laugh at me until I stopped but uh, the idea yeah. of the guy who's just like bivouacked in his back room smoking his pipe reading Puritans to almost the neglect of his neighbor um, is, you know, it's probably unfair to paint with such a broad brush, but, you know, these things yeah. exist for a reason. I hope that we don't then have the pendulum go to the other side and it all becomes, you know, practical Christianity and we lose, you know, our reverence that we've just regained for these old works. And instead we get a both and, you know, I mean, Spurgeon yeah. is a perfect example, right? So well-grounded in these books, right. read so much, read so deeply, read so widely. And yet every single week, 
on on Saturday night, right? He'd have a big group of people of parishioners over. He would mm-hmm. he'd be working with them. He had the, the he had the orphanages. He had all this stuff that he was doing. People people knew that he really cared. They didn't just know that he really knew stuff. Right. And I would even argue, just to put a spin on what you said, Christianity is not practical unless there's deep theology undergirding the practice. Yeah. Yeah, or you wind up with purpose-driven or whatever, and, and, and it becomes so watered down that you lose the heart of the, of the faith. Well, can I be very blunt with you? Yeah. If, if it seems like uh, it's going to be offensive and it's going to hurt my numbers, I'll just, you know, delete it before I post this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, if if you don't have good theology uh, undergirding the, the practice of what you're doing, uh, that's, how, that's how you end up uh, uh, b- becoming uh, so entrenched in the social justice stuff you see all around nowadays. Yeah. Um, because, because you see people that have a zeal for God, so called, but uh, they're not undergirding it with theology. And, uh, mm. and if I could recommend a good book to you guys, it just came out through Reformation Heritage Books uh, Alex DePremus, Spurgeon and the Poor. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, the book version of his dissertation is very, very good. I, Alex is, uh, didn't pay me a bit to <laughs> say that. But, but, you know, we've gotten off on the practical Christianity. And that book is so helpful because Spurgeon cared about biblical justice. Hmm. But, but he abhorred uh, the seeds of the social gospel that right. started creeping up before he died yeah yeah um, that was his big last final battle kind of wasn't it where where he and he paid a price for for not budging right well the seeds of it that were there but what he was mainly fighting in the downgrade was like uh people denying biblical inerrancy and things like yeah. that and the, and the whole baptist union going uh, down the toilet but uh, there was also particular men in the union that were pushing for social gospel stuff but the term social gospel didn't get coined until um, the, the turn of the century yeah so. you get your modernist fundamentalist debates and things yeah yeah when you say practical Christianity has to be rooted in doctrine it just reminds me of uh, a, another thing that we were just on right now in our retelling of the Pilgrim's Progress which is ignorance where you yeah. think this thing is so practical you know he's, it's all action he's running he's fighting Apollyon you know there's flaming arrows coming from Beelzebub's tower as he's running into the gate but then you have these long portions of like, hold on, let's suss this out. Is it is justification going to justify you despite your attempts at righteousness, or does it justify your obedience? Because mm-hmm. that, you know, razor's edge distinction will determine whether or not you're going to make it to the celestial city. So you can see the emphasis on the the true doctrine at the core of all this action and, and practicality. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, that's right. Another guy writing at the same time, right? J.C. Ryle. You know, practical religion. You read that yeah, book. Yeah, who was the good Church of yeah, England? Right. Virgin Act. They yeah. both, yeah, they, they both had very, very good things to say about each other. But uh, just reading that book, 
all of the practical religion he's talking about starts and is grounded in being a genuine Orthodox Christian, yeah. and out from that will pour, you know, out your love for the poor, your provision for the widow and the orphan, right? Um, uh, because it has to, because you're so enthralled and in love with Christ, and you're in such a, a, a it, 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 hatred of the world in that moment, and it's 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 sin's reality on the downtrodden, and you know that you're going to take up, uh, you know, you know, true justice, which is come to the cross, be forgiven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, get inside of a church that can show you Christ every day. You know, not just on Sundays. And actually that the cross is the answer for all of the world's issues at its core. It is. Yeah. Well, and that's just basic good um, Mm -hmm. exegesis, right? It's good hermeneutics, actually. If you you go to the text, you find it's always indicative. Mm -hmm. This is the truth. This is what Christ did. This is what we affirm, the doctrine. Therefore, imperative, you Mm -hmm. do this. All the way back to the Great Commission itself. People are like, we're a Great Commission church. We're just about do, do, do. Well, hold on. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's an indicative. Mm. Therefore, go and make disciples. Out of these truths come our desire to do these good things. Otherwise, you're going to slip back into my desire to and my my success in doing these good things is why God accepts me. You got maybe right. a generation max before assuming the gospel becomes just losing it. That's right. May I recommend another book to you guys? Sure. One of my favorite uh, Puritan books. It's by a man uh, named Lewis Bailey, The Practice of Piety. Hmm. The Practice of Tithing? Piety. Oh, Piety. you know, my Baptist, my Baptist preacher here just heard The Practice of Tithing, tithing. for some reason. I don't know. I know what you're preaching on me. <laughs> you know, the distinction between pietism and piety is kind mm. of what we're talking about here, right? And yeah, we have to right. relentlessly pursue true piety and, and yeah, practice it. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, zeal, zeal not just for good doctrine, but for good works, like mm. it says in Timothy. Um, it's going to yeah. come out of that, that love of God that you discover through studying him, which is, by any other word, theology. Mm. Right. And I would say, if you don't have good works, then your doctrine is not really that good either. Right. Yeah. Yep. So they really affect one another. And uh, that's something that Spurgeon gets at via Alex DePrima's book. It's very good. So um, so I'm talking to two pastors here then. So, so, so how do you think that we fix then people's distaste for the old books? Hmm. for for the for the old classical right orthodox religion <laughs> one podcast series at a time yeah. you know, you know <laughs> yeah. no, I, I think you do have to try to um something like bunyan where you can and you see a lot of people currently doing it kind of bring it into a new media setting or make it feel new and exciting in some way mm-hmm. if, as long as you can do it without losing the heart of it or or yeah. you know just giving a broad outline or you know watch this movie it's two hours and the book takes 14 to read okay that's Mm. not going to do the trick but if we can find ways you know and and studies together or you know if we remember like our our men's group did a study through um the pilgrim's progress derek thomas has this wonderful series on it that was on right now media and you can watch a lecture at a time and discuss it that kind of stuff is helpful people want to they want to be um guided through this kind of thing 
And there's a lot of books out there. I know um, that there's at least three or four major publishers, uh, you know, have put out guides to meditative guides to question and answer, you know, discussion guides. And there's a lot out there that you can take advantage of. I don't know how you get people to want to sit in the chair and read Spurgeon if mm. to to them he sounds too old timey and it's hard to follow. And I know the answer is not, you know, strip away the majesty of the language and make it sound like it was, you know, me up there preaching or, you know, the, the hip youth pastor and make it sound modern. I don't yeah. know what it is though. Maybe, maybe uh, Ed knows. Well, I think your people will get excited about what you're excited about. Um, so, so for me, we, we've got a very naturally uh, theologically driven church just because of where we, we are in Provo. We're surrounded by theological heretics. <laughs> so for us, our church has an advantage in that a lot of our men in particular are already very theologically at least aware. But one of the things I found you can do, really really two things um, that's been helpful to me. Don't be afraid to quote directly or paraphrase good authors you're currently reading in your sermons. You know, just a quote that really gets you. So, like, you know, if, some, if somebody has a hard time reading Spurgeon because his language is uh, it's a little too up there, ironically, compared to Spurgeon's own views uh, about feeding the giraffes. Um, you know, I, I tell them, don't start out with a random sermon in the, in, in the Met tab. Start out with a new Park Street pulpit sermon because hmm. he's younger and he's more fiery. Uh, <laughs> right. One of my favorite quotes from the new Park Street. And this tells you a lot about me, Zach. You'll understand why I like your books. He says, there's dust enough on some of your Bibles to spell out damnation. Yep. yep. So, so I mean, just quotes like that when you read them, it, it just makes the hair mm -hmm. uh, stand up, at least on my arms, you know, because it's a very pithy way to get truth across. That was one of my first experiences with Spurgeon was that that particular sermon. And I remember that line sticking out to me and going, oh, wow, this is so different than yeah. the cultural nominal Christianity in which I was raised, which you didn't put anything on top of the Bible physically because that was disrespectful. Yeah. But you're not going to read it. Right. You're not going to yeah. interact with it. You're not going well, to yeah. dust it regularly it. so no one can right. write damnation, Say damnation on it. Right. And you go, yeah, well, right. then th then it's worthless. And it, yeah, I mean, no wonder then I grow up to become antagonistic of it because it's hypocritical at that point. And, um, and, 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 and the religion that was expressed inside of um, his sermons, especially, like you said, his earlier sermons, was, was so authentic and all-consuming. And this is the way the Christian spends their time mm -hmm. is not how do I entertain myself, but how do I know Jesus better and how do I look more like him? And how do I encourage my neighbor and my community to look more like him and want him? Um, it was just so different than, you know, modern evangelical Christianity, or at least 
what I was being fed, that it, it blew me away. Right. Uh, for the first time, at least, you know, experiencing, well, if these people are all hypocrites, at least this guy isn't, at least not in word, because he seemingly believes it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Going back to the question of the second way that I would answer your question, Mr. Sagacity, is to say, regularly do book club type things hmm. when you get together hmm. with uh, other brothers and sisters too, they'd be welcome and read the book. Like our men's study, we've been going through the bondage of the wheel. Wow. Yeah, Martin Luther. Yep. And it's funny to watch him uh, dog on Erasmus. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I've forgotten how biting that man can be. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the brother that lives with me, he's, he's a member of our of our church and he takes care of me and uh he's from germany and i and i, I tell him james i gotta get you to read this to me in german i <laughs> i, I want to hear i want to hear the insults in german right <laughs> that, that'll push you to to finish mastering that language right so you can really appreciate the the lutheran insults some of them are uh, a little bit Juvenile <laughs> at the end of the day, a, a little bit okay, yeah, <laughs> etc. Yeah, that's that's fun. Um, we have a, a club here, book club, uh, where we're going through Spurgeon's uh, only a prayer meeting. It's not that's not what Spurgeon called it, but it's his his uh, series of uh, lectures before the prayer meeting happened, uh, where they had this little right. prayer meeting of what, only about a thousand people or something, yeah, or 800 says. or something. Um, and it's, uh, it's every Thursday and it's, uh, Mr. Sagacity and me. That's, that's the book club. <laughs> wow. Sounds very exclusive. Yes. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we would, we would welcome anyone who really wanted to read it, especially if they really wanted to get involved in, uh, you know, a prayer meeting afterward. But, uh, I think, a lot of times that's often a good setting too, is it a couple people coming together. My wife has coffee with one woman at the church regularly, uh, even though we have a, a women's Bible study. I think a lot of times you can get more conversation and deeper into a topic when it's just a couple of two, three people. Uh, than oh, when yeah. it's a, especially when it's a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds unwieldy. It's more intimate, right? Like yeah. You can pray for each other. You can confess sin to one another. And I mean, really, accountability, I think, is the need of the hour nowadays in the mm, world we yeah. live in. Yeah. Um, but uh, God is good, brothers. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. So. Well, I think we're uh, coming to an end here. But man, thank you so much for all your time today. I greatly appreciate you setting aside half your morning to talk with a couple podcast chuckleheads here and uh, share your wisdom and all your knowledge and uh, we we pray for you um, I mean I pray for you and now that Alex knows and, yeah and now that Mr. Sagacity knows who you are I bet yeah. he will too but I mean we know you are spiritually you're in the lion's den man and mm -hmm. and we pray that you will be kept safe and have you know bear a lot of fruit there and I hope all of you listening have uh, benefited from hearing Dr. Ed Romine where can they find you on um Facebook and Twitter and all these things. Yeah, so just look for me on Facebook. If you want the address, it's edromine.14 after facebook.com. But if you just type in my name, there's only like two of us, and the other guy's British. Ah. 
So you can tell uh, just by looking at him. That guy's so British. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know I'm crippled, so there's that too. So look for the guy in the wheelchair. Uh, I'm in my profile. I'm staring at a bunch of Picanha steak. If you don't know what Picanha steak is, uh, you need more of God's common grace in your life. (laughs) But, but, uh, yeah, the Twitter is the same profile picture. And uh, I mainly use that account to harass Joe Thorne. Yeah, Yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) Yep, so... I, I love Joe um, uh, to pieces. He knows that. And uh, I thank that poor man's podcast. He's had me on there twice. Uh, now you, your guys' episodes are about to go way down, or views or whatever you call it. So. <laughs> All right, so make sure you follow Ed Romine on Twitter and Facebook, etc. Buy his book when it comes out. Uh, make sure you follow him on Goodreads now that he's a bona fide author. But most importantly, you follow The Narrow Way. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from Pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers. Used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. And silver. Got to